Lord, we thank you for your presence. Wow, Holy Spirit, what an anointing tonight. Lord, we ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would make the Word of God come alive to people. Lord, I pray that as people are locked in to give you their best ear, that you'd speak through me the words of life. And Lord, we bind away any hindrance to the Word. Jesus taught us the parable of seed and sower that the enemy tries like birds, tries to steal the seed. But Lord, I pray we bind that away. It's not going to happen. Lord, this is going to be fruitful tonight. Lord, everything will be accomplished. It's your will to be done. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Man. Let's rest in the glory. It's kind of, sometimes it's hard to preach under the glory or do, do worship. You know, the priest dealt with that, remember, in Chronicles. The priest couldn't stand to minister. All right, let me get into some of this. Um, been doing a series called Seductions of Satan. In this series, I've been dealing with spiritual warfare and deliverance. I don't know if you guys remember the Protocol of Heaven series. Did that a little while back with uh, growing spiritually in the Lord. We did a series on faith. I'm going to be going into a series. God's been doing a lot of series these last couple of years. He's wanting to, to really take you guys deep. But I'm going to be going into a series on the church in revival. And I'm going to deal a lot with the book of Acts the church in Ephesus that was planted in the fires of revival. But tonight I want to close out this series. And last week and this week are probably the two most controversial sermons I've preached. Unfortunately, even though it's the word of the Lord, you don't hear enough of these type of messages being preached in pulpits right now. Things have gone more in a seeker-friendly way. Now, I really believe with all my heart the day is coming because the Bible says in John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. I really believe that the Lord has a lot of sheep that are in places that he's going to call them out of. And his sheep will hear his voice and they'll move out of places they need to be brought out of. And he's preparing places for people to come together that are hungry for more of the Lord. And there's going to be a great sifting. Some of the people that I love to, to pastor and minister to the most are those that are, that are not churched. I see people get saved and I love them and I think to myself, I hope that they get into a good church because I've seen people get ruined by church, get ruined by religion. We've been really reaching out on the streets and, and doing a lot there. But I want the move of God to perpetuate and continue. And that's, that's what I'm after is His presence. Let me tell you, Jesus, when He was here, He was the embodiment of God. And he, the, in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead, the, the Spirit of God. And when people came to Jesus, the, the, you know that they felt the presence and power of God. I don't know if you remember in Luke when they ripped the, the roof open and the ceiling open and they you know, let down the paralytic. But if you read that, it says that the power of God was present to heal the sick. It says that. You know how God, to Acts 10.38, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good healing all the oppressed of the devil. But he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
I remember the Apostle Paul was trying to minister to um, those in Athens. You read about in the book of Acts. And they laughed at him. He, he actually came with eloquent words. You know, he came saying, well, what about this unknown God? And he tried to reason with them and be persuasive. And I really believe they, they laughed at him and mocked him and, and didn't listen to him. And I really believe with all my heart that that was a, a lesson that the Apostle Paul had to learn. Because then you read in Corinthians where he was talking about, I don't come with eloquent words. But I come in the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith does not rest on man's wisdom but on the power of God. And he talked about the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 4.20, is not a matter of talk. It's not a matter of just being in word or in speech, but it's a matter of power. We've been talking about 2 Corinthians 3.6. Through eight, we've been talking about that a lot lately. On Tuesday nights, talking about a religious spirit, but too many people are using the Word of God, but they're coming from a structure of death. They're they're using the Word of God, but they're using it against the move of God. They're using it against the Holy Spirit. It's a religious spirit, and it produces death. That's the fruit. How many knows you can know the Word of God and still be an enemy of the Lord? Look at the Pharisees. They had the Bible practically memorized. But they were an enemy to Jesus. They resisted the Holy Spirit. Alright, let me get into this. Let's give you a few quick things before I jump into the sermon. But The leaders of previous moves of God historically have persecuted the next move of God. Did you know that? Did you know the leaders of many revivals of times past would actually persecute the next revival? I'm sure that pride plays a lot into that, or fear. But I don't want to be those that once God moves and then He's doing something different, that you know it's going to be start persecuting something new and different. Every move of God is different in its own way. And one of the few people, literally one of the few people in church history that has been able to pastor and connect to two completely different moves of God has been at the Bay Revival and the Brownsville Revival. The Pastor Kilpatrick and those involved there. But very few people are able to do that. It takes humility. Amen? Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Remember in, in 2011 when God gave me that word about Zechariah 4. And, you know, we saw the things that year with a major increase of anointing. But what does the word of God say in that chapter? It says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. You know why? Because it's during those times that the Lord will weed out of his garden. Listen to him. This is important. He will weed out all the prideful the fearful, the religious, and those without faith. Those are the four categories. He'll weed out people that are prideful because they can't stand where it's at. He'll weed out the fearful. He'll weed out the religious. And he'll weed out those without faith. See, it takes faith 
to possess the promised land that God has given you. And many people, once a few years rock along, they start giving up on God and giving up on the promise of God because of their lack of faith. Remember the children of Israel. You know, there was 15 parts to this. I just wrote this down for me, but 15 is the number of the bride of Christ. I thought that was interesting. Because there was an old man that prophesied to me. He said that before Jesus comes, he's going to set his people free. That's what he said. You know, we've seen a lot of moves of God over the years, and I've, I'm... I studied out revivals in church history. But I'm going to tell you, these last days, there was, a, there was a prophetic man. He's dead. He died back in the 60s. But he saw the last day revival. And he said, before Jesus comes, this is what he said back. He actually prophesied this back, I believe, in the 40s. So I want you to think about this. He said, before Jesus comes, automobiles will look like eggs. Now, have you seen the smart cars? Not only are they ugly and dumb looking, but they look like an egg. <laughs> he prophesied that back long before there was things like that. You see what I'm saying? We're in the last days. There's a lot of other reasons other than that to believe that we are in the last days. But let me say this. He said that before Jesus comes, he saw a vision of Jesus standing over the earth. And Jesus gathered up all the fire that's ever been poured out since the day of Pentecost. And he was gathering up all that fire and he made this huge ball of fire out of it. And he threw it on the earth. Before Jesus comes, I'm telling you, we're going to see the greatest move of God in world history. It's going to usher in billions of souls into the kingdom. We've seen revival. Like for example, at Brownsville, the revival swept in like a million people into the kingdom of revival souls. We're seeing a wave right now of revival that has to do with signs and wonders and healing. It's wonderful. I believe, this is just my opinion, but I believe the next wave will have to do with delivering the captives. I do, I believe that. But that may be a few years out. So I'm going to start moving into this sermon. Now, you know, in Ephesians, remember it says this, I read it last week, it says, to have nothing to do with deeds of darkness but rather expose them. So the church is called to expose the devil and expose deeds of darkness. That's part of our calling. In 1 John 4, 1, it says to test the spirits and see if they be of God. Now I want you guys to remember this because revival has been poured out here for sure. We've been seeing a move of God. God's touching people. But I'm going to tell you right now, I want the real and I want as much as I can get from God, but I'm not going to swallow a counterfeit. Yeah. God don't need our help. He doesn't need us fabricating something. He doesn't need us trying to make something bigger than it is. When He heals somebody, He heals somebody. You don't got to add to the story. The Bible says to test the spirits. And I did a sermon a while back on angels. And I told you guys back then, the Lord had showed me there was going to be more angelic activity than there has been. There's been people even see angels and all that. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's cool. Okay, I would like to see an angel or whatever. That's cool. I have no problem with that. Okay. But I'm going to tell you, Satan traffics also as an angel of light. And so you've got to be careful about either or. There's people that are religious 
And they don't like anything supernatural. They don't like tongues. They don't like the gifts. They don't like the supernatural. They, they, don't, they resist the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit and they quench the Holy Spirit. But then you've got people also that, that just swallow anything. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is down that middle road, the path of righteousness, the path of life. He's in the middle there. And that's where you've got to test the spirits because you don't want to resist the Holy Spirit like many do. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't want the Holy Spirit to begin to move and you quench the Spirit of God. People do it all the time. So this is where faith comes in. Because people live a lot of times by fear. I've been in services. And some of you have been with me in services. I remember even the last outcry. The Holy Spirit, it was like a bomb went off. I mean, there was people... There was people everywhere. There were some people that were manifesting demons that were getting delivered to demons. Then there was people that were getting healed. Physically healed. Somebody over here weeping and wailing that's getting emotionally healed. Some people laughing hysterically. Other people crying. And you're sitting there just, you know, looking at this going, wow, you know. But that's when you have to have a lot of faith in the Lord and understand that the Holy Spirit's in control. But see, people that get fearful, they start thinking, oh man, I've got to control everything. And they, they just freak out and they want to control everything. You have to trust the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's in control. And I'm going to tell you, His order of things is a lot different than man's order. A lot of times, people say, what's well, not decent order? According to you. But that doesn't mean it's not decent order according to the Holy Spirit. Well, that was good. Just because a religious person doesn't like it doesn't mean that God doesn't like it. A friend of mine, Benny Baker, who spoke here a couple weeks back, was telling me about a dream he had. This is going to kind of lead into my sermon. But he had a dream. He said he hasn't had very many prophetic type dreams or anything but he was saying that he had this prophetic dream back in the 90's and in this dream he said that he had gone, something catastrophic had happened in America and the food supply had been cut off and so people were desperate and people were having to go to the government for food like you see in other countries we have the line you know, people lining up for government cheese and milk and eggs and different things like you see in Russia and stuff like that. And it was desperate. And so people were lining up. And he said that when he got to the front of the line to get food for his family, this individual was trying to tell him that he had to take you know, some kind of a mark on his right hand to be able to get the food. And he said, well, you know, he said, my religious beliefs, I have a problem with that. And the person told him in the dream, said, well, that's fine this time. But the next time you come, if you're not willing to take the mark, you won't get food. And so he said he, he left... And this is still the dream going on. He left and he went back and he was standing up in the pulpit and he was about to preach. And he realized when he looked out over the congregation that every other person that he saw, he could see a mark on their right hand. So it's 50% of them. And he said that it really shocked him because it was people, some of them that he knew personally. He was friends with them. And he thought to himself, how could they be deceived like that? 
And then he came off the pulpit and went back to the back room and opened the door. And there was all these power tools everywhere. And then he woke up. And the interpretation of the power tools is the power gifts. Just really neat the Lord would use power tools because tools are used to get the job done. And we need power gifts to get the job done. Faith, healing, and the working of miracles is the power gifts. So we're living in a time where you're seeing major end-time prophecy fulfilled. That's not what this sermon is about, so I'm not going to get too, you know, too off of what God's given me over here into you know, right field and just dwell on the end times because that's not what God's speaking tonight. But I'm going to tell you that we're living in a time when the coming of the Lord is so close And that's why God had put on my heart to do this series because I've been teaching on things that you're going to need to hear, but a lot of people don't hear. There's one of the things we're going to see in the last days will also be the, the highest level of spiritual warfare that the world has ever known is going to take place right before Jesus comes. Because Satan is going to do everything he can to stop and prevent the second coming of Christ. He's trying to destroy the nation of Israel because the prophecies are Jesus' feet will land on the Mount of Olives. You know, he's trying to do everything he can to stop the coming of the Lord. So let me jump into this and give you the last few things. If you, if you didn't hear all this series, it's on our website if you want to look it up and hear the first you know, 14 parts or so. But here's some things. And now compelled by the Spirit, Acts 20, 22. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my own life worth nothing to me. <coughs> Excuse me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none among you, whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. How many knows that we need to get back to proclaiming the whole will of God? The whole counsel of God. And not just preaching things that we're comfortable with, but preaching the whole word. And not trying to water it down just so that you don't offend somebody. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Now this is important. I know that after I leave, Paul said, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in, in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard and remember that for three years, I never stop warning each of you day and night with tears. Let me just stop there. You can read the rest of it on your own. The Apostle Paul talked about savage wolves coming in. Jesus talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. And today what I'm going to talk about is about infiltration. This is the enemy trying to get inside the camp. Okay? I'll probably share some things with you that will shock you. But I'm going to, let me go back into this. I talked about this last week. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
So we're not to live by fear, we're to live by faith. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. We're not to live by fear. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. The enemy is afraid of true Christians. Not the other way around. Don't be afraid of any demon. Don't be afraid of any so-called witch or anybody else that serves the devil's kingdom and his purposes. You have authority over them. So do not be afraid. And let me tell you another thing. One of the gifts of the Spirit is not suspicion. So going around on a witch hunt and thinking, oh, you know, what's going on and trying to scope everybody out. That's not a gift of the Spirit. So if the Lord shows you something, pray about it, but don't go looking for problems everywhere. Okay? So when I'm sharing some of this stuff, I think that the tendency would be the enemy would try to get sometimes people in fear. That's highly unscriptural. Or he'll try to get people to start, you know, looking everywhere for a demon under every rock and everything. So don't, don't go there, okay? But anyway. But the enemy tries to come in. Remember, I talked about this last week. Just recap real quickly. The girl with the python spirit, Acts 16, 16. Once Paul was going to a place of prayer, he met a female slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money by the owner's fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. Now, why would a demon-possessed girl, why would she be speaking, These servants, these are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Why? Why in the world would a servant of the devil be giving Paul free advertisement and good advertisement? She kept doing this for many days. Finally, Paul came, became so annoyed that he turned and rebuked the spirit. The demon left her. The reason why is because this spirit was trying to get Paul deceived into believing that this girl was a prophetess. Now, Paul had ran up a lot of prophetic people. He'd run into a lot of prophetic people, like Ab- I believe it was Agabus and his daughters. Remember, he had seven daughters that prophesied. So Paul was around prophetic people. But whenever this girl came, this was a counterfeit spirit. This was a spirit of divination. And it was trying to deceive Paul like an angel of light, I believe, to try to get into his ministry where Paul would look to her for counsel. Does that make sense? So a python spirit, by definition, if you look at a python snake, it tries to wrap around somebody and squeeze the life out of them. That's why it's important to test the spirits and make sure that what's going on is actually of God. Because if you start embracing a counterfeit spirit that's coming in, that may be predicting the future or whatever, if it's a spirit of divination, it's not the Holy Spirit, and you allow that in and give it place, you're allowing in a spirit of python, and it will begin to wrap around your life and ministry and squeeze the life out of it. We believe in true prophecy. But we do not believe that everybody that says they're a prophet is a prophet. Nor do we believe that everybody that prophesies is necessarily saying the word of the Lord. The enemy does try to counterfeit the gifts of the Spirit. One of the reasons the enemy counterfeits the gifts, number one, is to deceive people. But the second reason the enemy counterfeits the gifts is because he knows that a lot of religious people will begin to get in fear and start thinking everything's of the devil and they'll throw out all the supernatural. 
which is extremely foolish. The Apostle Paul taught us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Amen? The story I've shared many times with Dr. Cho, Korea. He was ministering and some woman was, was prophesying and there were people lining up to her. But he felt in his spirit something wasn't right. Went home and prayed about it. The Lord told him it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the spirit of divination. So he went to her, he talked to her about it. She got offended and left like most people do. And so he, he said, okay, well she's gone or whatever. But if he would have allowed that to continue... He would have been doing exactly what the Satan tried to do in Paul's ministry. And that is come in like a python spirit and begin to wrap around his life. And begin to choke the life out of the church. Another thing that the enemy will try to do. The enemy wants to stay hidden. And so when you read the book of Revelation 17 verse 5, it says Mystery Babylon. Because it's a mystery because none see her. You see what I'm saying? None see. And so it's a mystery. The thing about the occult, the word occult means hidden. By definition, Satan's kingdom traffics in darkness and tries to remain hidden. That's why the Bible says to expose them. They lose power when they're exposed. I'm talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. Let me give you an example. There was a woman that I was friends with. And she was telling me she was in this church. And they were worshiping God. It was a powerful service. The presence of God was very strong. All of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving. And somebody had a message in tongues. And somebody else was interpreting. And the interpretation was... Now, she's standing in, in the furthest back part of the entire church. Okay? So most people were pretty far up. There was a lot of people in the altar worshiping. She was way back. And she said when the message in tongues came the interpretation, the interpretation was that there was a wolf in sheep's clothing that was among them. And it went on to continue down that path of exposing somebody. So she was back at a vantage point where she could see. And she said there was this guy. And she said he had always given her the heebie-jeebies anyway. But while that, while that message in tongues came, that interpretation came, while that person was speaking, there's a, wolves in she, a wolf in sheep's clothing among us. She says she watched that guy go all the way down to the ground, and he was slithering like a snake and went underneath the pews and got up and ran out of the back. She says she couldn't even believe what she was seeing. But he was in there for some time before the Lord exposed him. Another way that the enemy moves is not just trying to remain hidden, but in the way of mind control. Spellbinding. People's minds get locked in. They get confused. They get locked into a certain way of thinking. That's why it's so important to renew the mind. But the enemy operates through controlling, trying to control people's minds and their thinking. I've known people that it seems like that they're going along pretty good. And then... It's like the enemy taps them on the shoulder and now they're being used to try to destroy a church, destroy a minister, whatever. And it's like something has come over their mind and they're deceived and it's like their mind is being controlled by something that's not the Holy Spirit anymore. And we have authority over these things. If something's trying to get a hold of your mind, take authority and break it. You've got to understand that, that you... 
When Jesus died on the cross and he raised from the dead, he has given you, he's invested in you a certain amount of authority. And the Bible says clearly that, you know, we have authority to bind and loose. The word loose means to destroy. You have the authority to destroy the works of the devil and to bind up the enemy. So when these things are coming, take authority. All right, about wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew seven fifteen. Jesus talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. Now this is significant because if you think about that phrase, the sheep are the people of God. And so some that are among the people of God are actually wolves and they're hidden, they're cloaked, where they look like sheep, but they're not sheep. They actually have the nature of the wolf in them, the nature of Satan in them, but they look like sheep. And Jesus taught about tares among the wheat. Now tares look exactly like wheat, and the only way you can tell them apart is at harvest time, because wheat, the grain will actually appear at the top of the wheat but it won't on tares because they're just weeds. And so the wheat will begin to, to bow over under the weight of the grain and you can, tell, you can tell the difference at that time. So in other words, let me put all that together. Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. A bad tree will not produce good fruit, nor will a good tree produce bad fruit. You have to examine the fruit and not go by lip service. People know how to act, they know how to say the right things, but it does not mean that they are truly of God. You have to look at the fruit. I'm shocked at how many times I see people that just will take everything at face value. Well, a person says they're a believer. Well, so what? Look at their life. It doesn't mean that they are. I've seen people that come into churches, and y'all need to hear me, and they're sexual predators. They come in, they're, they're looking to get somebody in bed. That's why they're there. They may not go to bars, but they go to the church. And they go from person to person. And you better discern it. And understand, just because somebody goes to church doesn't mean that they're a man of God or a woman of God. You better look at the fruit in their life. And I've seen people creep into youth groups or whatever, and it's a sexual predator. And they go from person to person, whether they have sex or not, they still date somebody and then break up with them and they go to the next person. And, and you know, once they break up, this group over here, the, let's just say it's the girl and her friends don't even feel comfortable coming to the youth group anymore because, you know, the, the ex is there. And then he goes to the next person, does the same thing until he's destroyed the whole youth group. Listen, the reason we're supposed to be coming to church is to meet with God and worship God. Okay, it's not a dating service. And when people come in and they have that mentality like this is some kind of e-harmony or whatever. <laughs> and so you've got to discern this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, some of these people, listen, when I tell you this, some of these people got to be run off. They're sexual predators and they're wolves. They're wolves. Y'all need to hear me. They come to you. There are even some people, not only in churches, but there's even some church leaders, I have no doubt, that are not really men and women of God. How in the world did the Bible 
now get under secular printing companies and secular copyrights? How did the church lose the word of God? It's like the enemy is, is sent in wolves that are devouring things. There's a man by the name of Mike Warnke wrote a really powerful book. Came out of Satanism. And I'm sharing this because you guys in these last days, I believe we're going to be ministering to people like this. <coughs> but he said that when he was in Satanism, now he's a Christian, he's a preacher. He said the way that they recruited people was they were trying to get people coming to these parties. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of free drugs and alcohol and different things. It was all free. So it was real appealing to people. And they would come in and they'd be getting high and drunk and all that. He said the next step was that they would bring people in to parties where people were having sex with them. The third step was to gradually introduce them to the occult, but in a way that wouldn't freak them out. To you know, introduce you know fortune telling or something like that, something more mild. And then once they got into the occult and they begin to get kind of in that Wicca or white witchcraft that type of stuff, then gradually to try to pull them into hardcore Satanism over time. But look at the process that they were using. He said that he saw thousands of people go through that process and get sucked into hardcore Satanism because it came in a way that seemed so innocent because it came first off with just these drug parties nobody would think well this is leading down a path of hardcore satanism you know and then it would go but one step at a time until they ended up there i'm going to tell you some things that are really going to shock some of you guys tonight okay but in 1972 there was a magazine that came out of satanism called the cloven hoof and it was the magazine part two, Cloven Hoof Two. It was put out by the Church of Satan and the Illuminati. It contained a twelve step program to completely take over America, which they did not successfully do at the time. Alright? But there was three let me let me explain. There were three steps that they did not accomplish. One of them was a fuel shortage did not take place. They wanted all the crops south of the Mason Dixon line to be destroyed. They did not accomplish that. But here's the third one. This was in a magazine. This is documented. There was a contract hit put out at that time on all major evangelists. Did everybody hear that? And they hired assassins to take them out. Now, it's interesting because Billy Graham mentioned back then that he felt his life was more in danger at that time in his life than at any other time. And he was right. The Holy Spirit, you know, had showed him that. But this did not happen. You know why? Because the Lord protected them. They wanted to take out every one of them. They put a contract hit on every one of them. Now, I want you to hear the rest of the story because it doesn't all end well. So what they did was, since they couldn't destroy them that way, they couldn't kill them, the Lord was protecting them. They hired prostitutes to go in to the church and seduce them. And the result of that attack was you saw Baker in 88 fall, Jimmy Swaggart in 89 fall, and several others. 
Now, this 12-step plan overall did not work. So listen to the rest of this. This is like 30 years ago. Why don't you listen to the rest of this? So they stated that they would infiltrate the education system. And all media and turn the minds of the youth, the upcoming generation, and implant within them Luciferian doctrine and beliefs. One goal was to make evil look cute. And they knew that as the youth grew up, they would teach the things that they had learned to their kids, and of course their kids to their kids, and through this, they would take over America. I want you to think about some ground that was obviously taken in that area. Because when you look at the educational system, especially higher education, you know, I always wondered why it was so anti-Christ, you know. I mean, they're okay with everything but the Bible. Everything but Jesus. Every, every other false god but Jesus, you know. And when you look at the media today, the media has become filled with the occult, Sexual sins, violence, and greed. And you cannot deny that they have, in fact, infiltrated those two areas. You know, Rick Joyner had a vision. He saw people, which you got to understand, a lot of times people look on the surface and they just look at a rating or they just look at, well, does it have certain things in it? But you got to understand there's a spirit sometimes behind things. And Rick Joyner had a vision one time. He saw people, they were sitting at a movie theater watching a movie. And while they were watching it, some things came up that at first shocked them. And they're like, oh, you know. But he saw spiritually, it looked like some kind of a, a green slime, like a defilement, was flung from the movie screen and landed on him. And he said that in that defilement, there was like electric currents that were going through it. And he said that that's, that green defilement, that slime or whatever it was, soaked into the people. And as it soaked into them, they became desensitized to what they saw and it didn't bother them anymore. It's interesting. And you have to wonder sometimes with the agenda behind things like Harry Potter and different things about stealing the minds of children. I really believe... That we're living in the days when the rise of the Antichrist is not that far off. And you're seeing a generation come up like no other generation in America's history. That especially through the media, especially through movies and music, have, have opened themselves up and allowed themselves, their soul area, to have a brush with the occult. And they've allowed things into their lives through that avenue that has made a lot of people susceptible. When the Antichrist rises to power and he begins to speak like a Hitler, and I'm not talking about Hitler from the point of view of, of somebody in America or somebody in Britain going, oh, that's weird. No, I'm talking about Hitler from the point of view of the Nazis and those that were worshiping him practically. When he gets up and begins to speak, it's going to be like something within people is going to lock into him and there's going to be an element there of control that he's going to have over them. And it's because they've opened themselves up to darkness. Does this make sense? 
and they're going to be deceived. Now the Lord can take all that out, you know, and cleanse people. So if you've opened yourself up or allowed things in your life, get it, let the Lord take it out. Let Him burn it out of you. The fire of the Spirit. The next thing I want to say is about the laying on of hands. I'm going to tell you some things in this story that will shock you too. But the laying on of hands. I, we need to have a ministry where we're laying hands and seeing the power of God. You know, Jesus said that these signs will follow them that believe. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll drive out demons. But he said that they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. There needs to be something in our hands. The power of God. The fire of God, the glory of God in our hands. So I believe very strongly in the ministry of laying on of hands. But you've got to understand that the Bible does teach to not be hasty about laying on of hands. And that you can translate that, don't lay hands suddenly. And one of the things that concerns me, I love revival. I think you guys know that. But one of the things that's concerned me about some revivals is it's just a free for all. I don't agree with it. And there's some well-known revivals that I love what's going on there as far as the move of the Spirit. And I love the people. I love the leadership. They have some amazing worship, some amazing teaching. And they do have a strong anointing. But I don't agree with it. I don't agree with just everybody laying hands on everybody. Because you're opening a door for problems. I remember I told this in the past, but you remember when revival broke out with Rodney Howard Brown and he had went to Lakeland and, and, and it had been explosive back in the early 90s. And somebody had told him, you know, there's, there's a witch or two that are going behind you praying for people. And so he said, that's it. Shutting it. Nobody's praying for anybody but me. That's the end of it. And that, that killed that problem. During the Brownsville revival, witches came all the time from New Orleans. They sit back in the back pew, you know, rattling their little rattles. Trying to put curses on people. Pastor Kilpatrick, they made a voodoo doll of him. You know, every revival, they, they'll, they've walked up and found animal sacrifices there on their porch of the church. They've had witches try to come in. They've had all that weirdness they face. It's called spiritual warfare. So not everybody needs to be laying hands on everybody. I don't want somebody that's got a major sexual problem in their life going around laying hands on people. I don't want somebody that's just come from splitting a church up going around laying hands on people. You know, I don't want somebody that's got something in their life where they've been practicing the occult or something weird. You know, there's some, there's some things like that out there. There's people out there that have created some kind of weird hybrid where they are a practicing witch but yet they also call themselves a Christian. They're out there. I've had them get mad at me because I just simply told them in love, you, you can't do that. And then they get mad at me and go off on me. I'm telling you, there's people out there that are practicing a homosexual lifestyle and call themselves a Christian. There's people out there that are living in unrepentant sin, but they call themselves a Christian. And these are not people that need to be laying hands on others and imparting what they have. Let me read you a story that's going to shock you. This is a true story. Okay, I'm going to read it word for word. These are some people that used to be in service to Satan's kingdom. All right, they're using the name Mary. It's not her real name. 
but she would train people how to infiltrate churches. That was her specialty. Now I'm going to read this from the woman's point of view that's telling the story, okay? So she said this, I also went to one of the several special training camps for witches on how to destroy churches. Isn't that lovely? They have a special training camp. Now listen, listen to this. Listen to this statement. This is from a woman who was there. She said this, this training camp was taught by one of the well-known Christians on TV. See, not everybody is what they pretend to be. Amen? Alright, she said, really, I'm not surprised. And then they, they quoted the scripture Paul wrote to, about Satan's servants would reach positions of leadership within the churches. He told the Ephesian elders that from among them, the church leaders would come ravaging wolves to destroy the sheep. So this lady named Joyce, she laughed and she said this, because she was talking about this lady Mary who used to train her at this time. She said, I'll never forget the first time Mary commanded me to go to a certain city in Kansas where a big evangelistic crusade was being held by a particular denomination. Mary instructed me that I was to wear long sleeves, a long skirt, and to have long hair. I had to get a hair piece because my own hair was fairly short at the time. So they had to fit the part, you know, look the part. I had never worn such sedate clothes in my life. I thought I looked terrible, of course. Now, this is good. My ideas about clothing have changed a lot since I started serving Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Jesus will clean you up. All right. Anyway, she says she was there to meet Mary at a hotel room. She knew some of the top people involved in the crusade and was there to make sure that they followed her orders. When I arrived at a room, I thought I had done a, a very good job with the clothing, but I'd never been in a church or this denomination before. And when Mary opened the door, she took one look at me and grabbed my arm and said, You come in here, she snapped. You can't go looking like that. Remember, you must dress and act as they do or they won't accept you. This is really interesting, isn't it? She dragged her off into the bathroom and took a washcloth to proceed to wash every bit of makeup off her face. <laughs> But Mary, she protested, I look terrible without makeup and I never go anywhere with at least a little. And Mary was very impatient. How many times do I have to tell you that you must dress and act according to their expectations if you want them to accept you? And you know, she was right. Now, here's, here's the story goes on. She says she was right. We could move freely throughout the many people at the crusade and everyone accepted us as being Christians without questioning us at all. It was during that weekend that Mary taught me more about the slaying in the Spirit, which the move of God happens. People, Why do people fall under the power of the Holy Spirit? It's not hard because they can't stand up. It's not complicated. But Satan's kingdom also can counterfeit anything. Let me just say, you know, not to let fear get in your life, okay, as I read this. All right, because I feel sometimes people just freak out for some reason. They're afraid of things like this. Alright, so Lord we bind fear away in Jesus' name. But anyway, but she knew about the slang in the spirit or whatever. Okay, she said I could already knock people unconscious just by touching them. Now this was satanic power. She served the devil. But Mary told her that wasn't enough. She told me that because these people were violating their own scriptures. Because they were violating their own scriptures. By just allowing anybody to lay hands on them and pray over them without even checking to see if they were a true servant of Jesus or not, that we had to have freedom to do whatever we wanted. 
and that their God would not protect them because they were in direct disobedience to his word. And there's a certain level of truth to that. Because you move out of the protection of God. So Mary understood that when people knelt before us or even bowed their heads before us, that they were actively submitting themselves to us and accepting whatever we wanted to give them. Of course, they thought we were praying for them. But their submission gave us legal right to put demonic spirits into them. They also directly opened the door for it by allowing their minds to go blank and never test the spirits that knocked them out. Mary showed me proper incantations to do. All right. Anyway, she would tap them on the hands, on the head, release spirits in their lives. And this lady was saying, looking back, she said, I was horrified now as I look back at the number of Christians that demons were put into through this practice. They were so eager and willing to go unconscious and accept anything that we chose to put in them. And so what did they do? They would put demonic spirits that were counterfeit of the gifts. Like counterfeit tongues or counterfeit whatever. Divination, python. This is another place about that python thing. That python spirit. Of course, they may speak in tongues and think they had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it was a counterfeit. People literally demanded signs and miracles from the Lord. And they were only too happy to give them to them. Now, going down a little bit further, she said, you know, Joyce, Joyce said, this is where Mary was so useful to Satan. She was willing to study the Bible and find out the place where Christians were going against God's word. And she was smart enough to know that the instant Christians were disobedient to God, that they could be very effective against them. Anyway, there's some more stories, but let me just stop with that. And you can read more of that if you want. This is a true story from a lady that was actually there talking about her experience in serving the devil. You've got to test the spirits. I was always comforted because I knew back when the Brownsville Revival was going on, the power of the Holy Spirit was so awesome. I mean, there were major miracles all the time. The power of God was falling. People's lives were being changed. If y'all would, would look this way. You can read that later. Look this way. Listen to the rest of what I have to say here. But we'll read that later on your own. But the thing is, back during the Brownsville Revival, many times, you know, the power of God would sweep through the place, everybody be hit by the power. And Pastor Kilpatrick did such a good job about managing that people were not going to be laying, on a, you know, laying hands on others unless he personally approved. And he protected the sheep that way. And there were people, he said, absolutely not. But can you imagine, if it was just a free-for-all, and these people, anybody was able to go through and lay hands on anybody. Those, those weirdo witches from New Orleans with their little rattles would be putting their little rattles in their purse and they going around laying hands on everybody. So as we move into revival, you guys that have been here as the church continues to grow, those that have been here with me for a little while, you know, that as it grows, I'm telling you this because I know you'll stand with me about this stuff. But you know that I won't put up with any funny business. You guys know me. And if I think something's not of God, I'll call it down. But I'm not going to call it down unless it's not of God either. Not just because somebody's emotional and crying or whatever. But I wonder how many churches out there, because see, Sandy and I know people because of her testimony. But we personally know a lady from, she doesn't live in East Texas anymore, but we know her, we're friends with her. In fact, she's come here before. 
that used to be a Satanist and was an infiltrator and went to church all the time. She was there to destroy the church she went to. That's why she was there, but she pretended to be a Christian and nobody in that church ever thought any different. Once she got saved from hearing Sandy's testimony, she's the very lady that I told you guys about that Sandy took her to a church where the power of God touched her and she was delivered to demons and all of that. Remember? It's the same lady. So I believe that when Jesus taught us to be as wise as serpents, this is what he's talking about. He said, be as harmless as doves, but be as wise as serpents. He doesn't want us to be so naive and just swallow anything and put up with anything. He wants us to know what's going on. And I laugh sometimes because people are so fearful. Man, I'm not saying this in pride or anything, but I've run into some devil worshippers on the street and they don't scare me. I just think they're weird, but I love them. I love them. I really do. I care about them. And they may be as mean as a snake and all that, and they, and they may come across a certain way, but deep down, a lot of times they're very hurting people. And you know what? They don't intimidate me. And they shouldn't intimidate you either. Another way Satan attacks is through scandals. The enemy tries to, to cause scandals, usually with money or sex. That's why it's so important. You remember me talking about Balaam and Balak last week, and I talked about how Balaam came in as a false prophet for hire, and he could not curse Israel, but he taught Balak, if you'll send in the good-looking Moabite women, then they'll start marrying them, and then God's judgment will come on Scandals. That's why it's so important that you have things set in place financially that protects everybody, which we do. Another thing is, and let me tell you this, you need to be careful about the opposite sex. Some of you in leadership, you need to hear me. There's been people that have been set up that were totally innocent, but somebody being used of the devil said they touched me. And they never did it, but it's his word against hers. That's why you need to be careful about being alone with the opposite sex. You need to use wisdom. These are areas that the enemy tries to attack and destroy ministries. Of course, direct, direct attacks from witches through black magic. You may feel that you're having some weird things going on. We've been attacked that way sometimes. But you may feel something attacking you in that way. Somebody's praying against you. Listen to the story in 2 Kings 3.24. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. So Israel was winning. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns. Each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Harasheth, have you say, that was left with its stones in place. But men armed with slings surrounded and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they fled. So this guy is at a point of desperation. His life's on the line. His army has been thoroughly defeated and he can't break through the lines. So as a last ditch effort, as a last resort, he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall to his demon god, human sacrifice. The, listen, the fury, or it's translated wrath, 
the wrath against Israel, the fury against Israel was great, and they withdrew and returned to their own land. I bet people have read over that and never stopped to really think about what happened. Israel was winning and defeating him thoroughly. But once he did a human sacrifice to his little demon God, it released great wrath in the spirit realm. And Israel turned back and went home. Now even though the enemy does have some limited power in that area, we have much more power. This is what I'm trying to encourage people about. You remember the Apostle Paul? I've told this story, I love this story in Acts where it says that the seven sons of Sceva were trying, the Jewish chief priests were trying to cast that demon out of God. And the demon possessed guy jumped on and beat him up. Well, the demon said, you know what? The demon said to them, he said, I know Jesus and I know who Paul is, but who are you? But you got to understand, they knew who Paul was and he was a threat. And you are the same way. And I want to be the same way that when we go to a place, it's like Satan's kingdom goes, I know Jesus and watch out for those people. I want to be one of those, watch out for that guy. I'm going to give you another story. I'm going to close this thing out. One more story that's, that's going to be kind of a little bit of a shock. <laughs> Told you I have some shocking stories today. But there was a lady by the name of Elaine that at one time had been a Satanist. And she was trained and had this specialty about church infiltration. And she was taught that there were eight basic ways when you infiltrate a church to come in and try to destroy the church from within. This whole sermon's been about wolves in sheep's clothing. Are you hearing me? They look like sheep, but they're not. The first thing that they had to do was establish a profession of faith. They may answer an altar call, whatever. They, they weep, they act like it's sincere, but it's not. But they try to establish a profession of faith. The second thing they try to do is build credibility. They'll have faithful church attendance. They give large sums of money. They're kind to people. They're always willing to help with every project. And they build credibility over time. But this is number three. This is a big deal to Satan's kingdom. I want you to remember this. And some of you that are called into ministry, I want you to remember this point. They try to do everything they can to to destroy the prayer base in the church. They want any prayer, any corporate prayer, out. That's the target. And you need to remember that. Because corporate prayer is the key to revival. Jesus said, my house will be called what? A house of prayer. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in one accord doing what? Praying. Revival breaks out when you pray. Souls get saved. The kingdom of God... Prayer is the key. And they're after prayer. The next thing is they want to spread rumors. You know what? If Christians would obey the Bible in this area and not associate with gossips, and they wouldn't spread rumors, and they wouldn't tolerate or put up with divisive people, this would not work. But most Christians like to gossip and listen to it And they end up being used of the devil themselves. But if we'll grow up and mature some and understand 
When somebody comes to you with gossip about a brother or sister in Christ, what you need to do is take them to that brother or sister and say, let's work it out. And one of two things will happen. Either they'll work it out or that person will quit coming to you. But either way, you won. And not listen to gossip about ministers and about leaders. That's all the time the enemy's trying to just stir up something. Another thing they would try to do is teach and change doctrine. Now Elaine said, this is the lady that was a witch at the time, that she taught Sunday school in a large Bible-believing charismatic church in her hometown for several years and led and taught the youth choir all the time serving the devil. And this is what she said, that Satan has tried to teach in these three areas. They tried to make prayer so difficult that no one would want to do it. They're after prayer again. It says they would teach only health and wealth. And that's all. Which there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus, by his stripes, you are healed and he will meet your need. But I'm just saying they would just focus on that to the degree that it would cause people to never want to suffer or go through anything for Christ. And another thing they would do is teach that Christians should never judge anyone. Isn't that interesting? How many times have I heard in street evangelism, don't judge me. But it's like, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Well, don't judge me. That's everybody's little scapegoat. You're judging me. No, the Bible is judging your fruit. I just am fruit inspecting. (laughs) Another thing they tried to do, this was taught in these camps. They went into churches. They did these things. Another thing they would try to do is always break up family units. And they would try to always have like the men's group over here, the the women's group over here, the youth over here, the kids over here. And all the time it was a division between family members. Now there's nothing wrong with having youth and children's church and all that stuff. We've got to have it. But we do need to all come together and worship together. I've seen where even divisive people leave and it's like unity it's like a spirit of division goes with them and, and the church unifies all the more. Remember this. The spirit of Elijah, which is a description of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Elijah will, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. Therefore, it goes without saying that the nemesis of Elijah, Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, would be the very one who would be tearing apart these relationships, ripping apart spiritual Fathers from sons. Ripping apart spiritual mothers from daughters. Are you hearing me? Satan's kingdom knows all too well that a kingdom divided can't stand. And of course the third part was just direct attacks by witchcraft against key church members. We need to have intercessors in place to pray and believe God for things. You know... Whenever somebody's coming through a major attack of something like witchcraft, somebody praying against them, it may be that all of a sudden it's really difficult to pray. It's difficult to read the Bible. It's difficult to grow spiritually. You're in church and you feel like it's hard to even lift your hands in worship. It's just something's trying to resist you. It's time to lift up your voice and break that thing and take authority. Alright, this is the last story I'm going to share with you tonight. This is a story about a man that infiltrated a church. It's a true story. He infiltrated a church and destroyed the church from within. Okay? 
So let me just read this written by Elaine. She's the lady I was telling you about. It says, The single most important goal of the Satanist is to knock prayer out of the church. There are so many scriptures about prayer, we cannot begin to list them all. A strong church is a praying church. Prayer requires self-discipline. Unfortunately, a lot of majority of Christians spend very little time in prayer. Let me give you a true story of how Satanist destroyed the power of, a, of the very church in which I was delivered. This is Elaine talking. This is where she was delivered. Okay? She said, Rebecca and I were broken hearted over what happened, but we could not get the leaders of the church to listen to us. Shortly after I was completely delivered, we were horrified to see that the very high priest of the large and powerful coven of the city in which our home was located started attending the church. I, she said, I knew the man personally. I knew him. I knew his family. And while in Satanism, he personally threatened both Rebecca and myself on more than one occasion. Within two short years, he and his co-workers completely destroyed this wonderful and powerful church. Many times, Rebecca and I pled in tears with the pastor and some of the elders to stop what was happening within the church, but they would not listen. We could not accuse this guy, calling him Roy, it's not his real name, of being a Satanist because it was our word against his. But we did try to show the pastor and a couple of the elders on more than one occasion that the fruits of his life were not scriptural. That right there is what you need to look for. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When you look at the fruit of somebody's life, just because they call themselves a Christian, they may even speak in tongues, they may go to church, they may give money, they seem spiritual. Just because they say they're a Christian and they look like they got, they look like a sheep, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a wolf. Roy was very wealthy. He joined the church shortly after we started attending it. He claimed to be well-grounded and knowledgeable in the scriptures, which he was. He contributed large sums of money to the church, attending every meeting and activity. He joined the choir. At that time, our church had an extremely powerful prayer meeting every Wednesday night. Every week, 200, 300 people attended. The prayer meeting and prayer was as a unified body. Sorry. And we have been in prayer meetings so powerful that the power of the Holy Spirit literally shook the building. These people were serious about prayer. It's a powerful church. Then, as would be expected, the church began to experience tremendous growth. The membership grew from 300 over 1,000 in just a year. This was an exceedingly dangerous time for the church, and the pastor and the elders were no longer able to know every member personally. Instead of dividing the church into sister, uh, sister church to keep the numbers down so it would be more manageable, or maybe to get more staff, I would say that, but just some way of managing it, um, they built an addition to the church, and the church kept growing rapidly. Everyone thought they were being richly blessed by God, and so they were. But many of the newcomers were also Satanists posing as Christian Christians. Less than six months after joining the church, Roy stepped forward and told the church that God had given him a great burden for America. He said that God wanted men in the church to start coming once a week at noon to spend an hour in prayer for our country. He was willing to lead a group. Everybody thought this was wonderful, and Roy was much looked up to within the church. Within a couple months, he was made an elder. How in the world can this happen? Anybody else thinking that? But it has happened. And I promise you, this is not the only church that's happened. Shortly after he was elected to the board of directors, after four months, after establishing the Prayer for America group, he, la- he launched his next two-prong attack. He and his wife and 20 choir members tearfully told the choir leader that they must stop attending the choir because it took too much of their time away from their families. They claimed it was too much of a burden to have to attend the Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
then go to choir practice after the prayer meeting. Needless to say, it didn't take long for the choir director to approach the elders about having choir practice during the prayer meeting and, of course, having their own prayer just before practice. The elder agreed. The 20 members rejoined. The first attack had been a success because now the choir was large. A significant portion of the church members were now um, neither praying nor benefiting from those powerful prayer meetings most of the other church members began to wonder if the prayer meeting was so terribly important after all. In other words, they got prayer out. You see how he wormed his way in and got prayer out? About a month after the victory with the choir, Roy attacked at a meeting of both the elders and the board of directors, and Roy told them that because of the fast rate of growth in the church, that not enough time was being spent teaching individuals to grow in the Lord or about how to share the gospel with others. He said that the Sunday schools just couldn't do the job he also pointed to the fact that people did not know each other personally as they used to whenever the church was smaller. All valid points, but his solution to the problem was to stop the large unified prayer group and split everyone into small discipleship groups where they could be individually taught on how to grow and evangelize and get to know each other better. The pastor and the elders and the board of directors swallowed, uh, swallowed it, the bait, hook, line, and sinker. The prayer meeting was disbanded and a small discipleship groups formed. Of course, Roy was in charge of forming the groups. The people he chose to lead them were mostly Satanists. The prayer and the power of the church was destroyed. Rebecca and I went to the pastor and some of the elders in tears trying to show them scripturally that, that those powerful prayer meetings were the backbone of the church. They refused to listen. From, from each one, we heard the same excuse. Roy is the first to know about the importance of prayer. Look how he started the Prayer for America group. Many of the strongest Christians in the church shortly left and attended other churches. Within a year, the church was in shambles. The pastor became discouraged and left. The older and strong members of the church left. The power of the church was gone. See, the discerning people left. They knew something wasn't right. I guarantee you this has happened more times than you would like to believe it's happened. let me close this thing out you guys getting something out of this I know this isn't something you're going to hear preached everywhere but man you know if we're going to see a move of God and the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come like he has and we're going to continue to see people getting saved on the streets and the church is going to continue to grow don't you dare think for one minute that the devil's going to sit there and take it lightly don't you think that if you're going out there winning souls and you're seeing a move of God you're a threat and you guys are doing that. You're going out there and winning souls. All right, let me tell you. So the, balancing this out, here's some scriptural, if you look at the bottom, the scriptural Holy Spirit manifestations in the Bible. We know Satan counterfeits everything, but this is still scriptural. I've seen in churches, and I, I'm hoping to maybe show, would you guys want to see this next week maybe? I was wanting to show a, a, some of the baptismals from the Brownsville Revival because they were so powerful. We had a little get-together at 4th of July. It was just something really just kind of off the cuff. We had a few people over. And I, and I popped in one of those DVDs, and all of a sudden I found everybody in there watching them, you know. But it was so amazing seeing the powerful testimonies of people getting saved. But here's the thing. The power of God was so strong. That people are getting water baptized and coming up and some of them are out under the power. And they're having to have, I, I joke around calling them this, okay, I'm just joking. But I called them, you know, water baptismal bouncers that would come in <laughs> and have to carry them out, okay. 
just kidding, all right? All right, so, but the, here's some Holy Spirit manifestations in the Bible. Number one, falling on the floor. Why do people fall? Once again, they can't stand up. The power of God's too strong. Ezekiel 128, 323, Daniel 109, Revelation 117, John 186, 2 Chronicles 514. It's all through the Bible. I heard Brother Rodney joke around. It made me laugh. Some people were falling out under the power, and he was praying for people. And he said, oh, okay, where's this in the Bible? And he said, well, doesn't it say in Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd? He makes me lie down. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Brother Rodney to come up with it. <laughs> All right, another thing, shaking, jerking, or trembling. Daniel 10.7, Habakkuk 3.16, Jeremiah 23.9. Groaning and travailing. You hear people groaning, travailing. Romans 8.26, Galatians 4.19. Deep bowing. Ezra 10.1, Psalm 35, 13 through 14. Heavy weeping and crying. Nehemiah 1.4, Ezra 10.1, Joel 2.12. Laughing in the spirit. Dancing. Or being still and solemn. Or being drunk in the spirit. Having dreams and visions. There's scriptures for all of this. Now let me give you the warning of the Lord and then I'm going to read these last couple things to prove people. The warning of the Lord is this. Jesus said that any sin will be forgiven people, any blasphemy forgiven, except that of blaspheming the Spirit. And he went on to say, speaking against the Spirit of God, let me tell you to be careful what you call demonic. Don't be quick. Don't be quick. Oh, that's the devil. Don't be quick about that because you may not know for sure. Remember the Apostle Paul. That girl was following him around for days. He wanted to make sure he discerned it properly. And when he did, he cast the Spirit out. But you need to take time and make sure that you're not calling something that's the Holy Spirit demonic. Okay, that's not... That's dangerous when people start doing that. And I hear people doing that all the time. Oh, that's a demon. That's demonic. It's like, man, if that's the Holy Spirit and you're calling that a demon, that's exactly what Jesus said is blasphemy. That's very dangerous. Be careful with that. But at the same time, don't accept the counterfeit. So here's some things to ask yourself. Whenever the Holy Spirit is moving, is it glorifying Christ or is it glorifying the person? Think about that. Here's another thing to to think about. Is it drawing attention to man or to God? Now understand, sometimes God's touching somebody and everybody's going to look at the person. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... Is the person getting accolades? Is, is it drawing unhealthy, ungodly attention on them instead of the Lord? Does your spirit bear witness and have peace? It will not violate Scripture. Now, this is, goes back to using the Word of God as either a letter that kills or the spirit that gives life. The New Testament is written that there's freedom. You know, people will quote the Bible and they'll quote it word for word, but they'll quote it to try to stifle the move of God. And they're using the Word of God as the letter that kills. They don't even realize they're doing it. It's a religious spirit. It's the letter that kills. So when I say it doesn't violate Scripture, that means that it doesn't go directly against Scripture, but there's liberty in the Holy Spirit. There's liberty. The fruit of the Spirit will be evident. Ask the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit? Where's God the Father? Where's Jesus at His right hand? Who is it with you right now? It's the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know Him. 
He'll tell you. If it's not Him, He'll tell you. Well, it's funny, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's got to grieve God. With, and, and the Holy Spirit's power is awesome. You're thinking, if that's grieving the Holy Spirit, why is He sweeping through this place in such an awesome way? Also, the gift of discerning of spirits. You know, you have the three vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, prophecy. You have the three revelation gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, but discerning of spirits. Somebody has the gift of discerning of spirits can distinguish, they can tell if it's of God or not. It's, a, it's an important gift. And I believe that every church needs somebody in it that's credible that has a gift of discerning of spirits in their life. I believe that. Freeing others from bondage. I need to move quick. I'm going to pray with people. You don't pray tonight? Man, the Holy Spirit is strong here tonight. Freeing others from bondage. Okay, listen, forgiveness. This is People got to be willing to change. How many knows that you can pray with somebody? I mean, you can, you can sweat. The little vein can pop out of your head. You can, you can be red-faced. You can sit there for hours. You can pray in tongues. If somebody's not willing to change, it's not going to do any good. Somebody has to be willing to forgive other people. They have to be willing to repent of their sin. They've got to be willing to surrender everything to Jesus. If they're not willing to change, you're wasting your time. But here's some quick things. Dedication to other gods. A lot of people don't even pray about this. But if your ancestors were involved in something like witchcraft or, or the worship of other gods, there's a dedication. Just like in Christianity, we dedicate babies to Jesus. It's powerful. It's awesome. Okay, but Satan has that. And I've prayed with people and broken dedications to other gods and death and destruction curses. And all hell broke loose. And some of you all have seen that. But people need to get delivered of that. Okay. Another thing is occult involvement, idolatry, or the worship of other gods will open a door for, for evil spirits in people's lives. Amen. You go, don't be playing with that stuff. I try to tell people. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, bondages, and addictions open people up. They put people in bondage. Okay? Sexual sins and soul ties. When you start sleeping around, the Bible says the two become one. Okay? It, it's bonding. And there's, there's a losing part of yourself and that person, part of them into you. There's a t- soul tie. There's a bond. The two become one. And let me tell you, when you get saved, you need all those ties severed. Okay? Marking the body, shedding blood. I've seen this over and over. You know, you got tattoos now, piercings, people cut themselves, people brand themselves. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I feel like I've seen it all, you know, when you've been in the ministry very long. But I mean, people come out of this gang where they stuck something in the fire, burned themselves. You know, they branded them, themselves. I've seen people that I've anointed a tattoo, I've anointed something like that. Or a place where they've tried to commit suicide, anointed with oil, and a spirit left them. I've seen it. I've seen it. Because they allowed something in their life. You've got to be careful with these things. It defiles. How many knows the Bible says don't defile the temple of the Holy Spirit? People are defiling their temple. And when, it, when teenagers get all you know upset or whatever and they start cutting themselves, that is defiling the temple. Remember in the Bible when Elijah was sitting back making fun of the prophets of Baal? Until they were probably dancing naked around their little statue or whatever. What were they doing? They were cutting themselves. They were shedding blood. It's an occult, satanic thing. Another thing I've seen over the years is criminal activity will open people up to bondage. And I've seen people that it seems like there's a generational curse about going to prison. I've seen it. I've seen people that were innocent 
that went to prison, but it was a generational thing that went down the family line that there was something they opened themselves up to through criminal activity. Also, this may bother some people, but Satan takes advantage of trauma or loss of consciousness. I've seen people that have been through something really traumatic. They almost drowned. They almost died in a fire. They had a really bad car wreck. Something really traumatic. They were molested, whatever. And now there's like a spirit of fear or something in their life and they have phobias. Something came in their life through that trauma. Now they're oppressed. That. You know, I, I remember a lady that she almost drowned or whatever, and we were just going to water baptize her, but she was so afraid of going under the water. See, she needed to be delivered of that, that fear that came into her life. A loss of consciousness, you know, and Rebecca and these people were talking about it in these stories earlier about blanking out your mind. How many knows whenever Jesus is talking about meditating on the scriptures, he's talking about an active mind? The witches and people, they try to get you to sit in some cross-legged position or whatever, you know, the lotus position, and stare at a candle flame and blank out your mind. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's their meditation. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches you to do. The Bible's meditation is, is actively thinking on the Bible, not blanking out your mind. So this loss of consciousness stuff can be kind of dangerous. It's opening people up to things. Words of our mouths. The words you've spoken, the power of life and death is in the tongues. Words you've spoken, words people have spoken over you that are negative, destructive, hurtful. It's a curse. You need to break those words. They have power. I've known people that their mother said something over them. Okay? And it's like the very thing that was spoke it seemed to have the power to cause it to come to pass in their life. Words have power. Alright, the last thing, and I close with this, and we're going to pray, is walking in victory. Jesus has paid for us. I'm going to tell you, if we get any type of revelation about the cross, you understand the awesome power that Jesus paid for you to have, the freedom He paid for you to have. He paid for your complete healing. He paid for your healing of a broken heart. He paid for you to be completely delivered from everything in Satan's kingdom. And not only that, but to go forth and destroy the works of the devil. He paid for all of it at the cross. He did. He gave us complete victory. So in these last days before Jesus comes, you need to develop a strong prayer life. If you've never read a book called Could You Not Tarry One Hour by Larry Lee, I strongly recommend that you read that book. It's called Could You Not Tarry One Hour. But I'm going to tell you, you need to learn how to pray and have an effective prayer life. You need a powerful prayer life. Another thing is take communion on a regular basis and speak blessings. I've seen people speak blessings over themselves and over a year's time, they bless themselves and the very thing they were blessing completely turned around. One lady had always spoken over herself about being overweight and she would speak all this negative stuff and some minister told her, Start blessing yourself to lose weight. She did it, and within a year, she lost 70 pounds without doing anything different but blessing herself. There's power in what you speak. Begin to bless areas that need to change. Get to know the Holy Spirit and get in revival and stay in revival. How many knows Jesus said in Matthew 25, He's coming back for wise virgins with extra oil. Get in the move of God. Get filled with the Spirit. I want to be so filled with extra oil that it's, it's flowing out of me to other people. We want extra oil. 
Another thing is have a strong covering. Make sure that you have a strong covering. You know, people are out of church for whatever reason. Some people have gotten hurt in church. Other people, it's a prideful thing. You know, they feel superior. They feel like they're too good for any church or whatever. But whatever the reason is that they're not faithfully in church, they don't realize that they're opening themselves up to some real difficult times because they don't have a covering over them. They don't have a prayer covering. Memorize scripture. Some of you guys need to remember this. Some of you young people, go buy at uh, a Christian bookstore. It's like a dollar. Go buy a little book that says scriptural promises on it and start memorizing some scripture. You need to memorize scripture about healing, about deliverance, the promises of God, the promises about your finances, different things. And that way, whenever you go through a trial in life, the Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart. That means memorize it. That's what it means. And whenever you go through a trial in life, you've got the word of God memorized. And you know what happens? That trial hits and a a scriptural promise comes out of your mouth about that trial right there. You need to memorize some scriptures. Learn to walk in faith. How many knows that we got to believe first and then you will see it? But you're not going to get it the other way around. No, people want to see it first or feel it. Oh, I feel different, so now I believe. It doesn't work like that. You believe first even though you don't feel anything. You believe first even though you don't see anything. Then you'll see and feel it later. See, faith calls those things that are not as though they are. Faith speaks out that it is done before you ever see it or feel it. It calls things that are not as though they are. And let me encourage you about this, Psalm 91. I would memorize Psalm 91 and speak it every day out loud over yourself and your family. There was a man that was a general during World War II. And it was scary times. And he had his men with him. And he every day he was a Christian. He would have them read out of the Bible, Psalm 91, out loud. He would have them read it together. And did you know he didn't lose any men? Psalm 91 is a powerful, powerful passage in the Bible about protection. And those of you that are prayer warriors, you pray. Psalm 91 is a promise to you that you'll abide under the shadow of the Almighty. A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. And that no plague or calamity will come near your dwelling. There's all kinds of promises in that scripture. So I recommend that you memorize Psalm 91. Because I always go through the Lord's Prayer, you know, about our Father in heaven, I come through the blood, hallowed be your name. I pray your kingdom come will be done. I pray during that time intercede. Give us our daily bread. Don't lead us into temptation. But I close it with what? Deliver us from the evil one. That's protection. That's how you close out your prayer time. And I always quote Psalm 91 out loud. I just, I've done it for years. And I've heard several stories of people like my wife and people in the ministry that I speak Psalm 91 out loud over you every day. And I've heard several stories where somebody was like, man, I had a really close call today. And they would tell me some crazy story of a, you know, a, what could have been a really bad wreck. I mean, really bad, and nothing came of it. As how many knows, the Bible, Bible promises us He encamps His angels around those that fear Him, and they deliver you. This is not the most fun sermon to preach, okay? But it's necessary. And let me encourage you. You know, take it home and read it, but don't allow yourself to get in any type of fear about anything. 
and don't get all suspicious about every person that you see. Oh, is that, you know, don't do that. Because the devil will try to try to manipulate you in that area. Just trust the Lord. Have faith. I have more faith in Jesus to keep me than the devil to pull me down. I have more faith in the Lord to keep me from being deceived than the devil to try to deceive me. It's your faith in the Lord that overcomes. So I want to pray tonight for those that, that want this. But one of the things that God laid on my heart was I felt that to pray about this in general, I didn't know who all was going to be here whenever I wrote this down, so I'm assuming this is a divine appointment for you, but I felt two things. One is I felt to take authority and break anything to do with stress, anxiety, worry. You know, I believe that some people live their lives stressed. And that's not the way God intends you to live. If, if you're walking in the peace of God and you're living by faith, you're, you're not going to be stressed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or anxiety or worry. People live anxious. They worry about everything. That, that's fear. Okay. Another thing is ungodly anger. And then I felt something about strife, division, discord, disunity. Where it's divisive. Strife. There's something I've seen over the years. I've seen this travel down family lines, but I've also seen it in certain families in their house. Excuse me, let me get a drink of water. All right, now I'll be able to talk. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> Got it. But I, I know that sometimes I've seen people in their families, in their house, it's like there's a spirit of strife. And it's so easy for strife to just break out at the drop of a hat. So here's the things. If you're dealing with stress, anxiety, or worry, or you're dealing with ungodly anger, like you feel like it's, it's too easy for you to lose your temper, or you're dealing with strife and discord in your life, like there's fighting that seems to surround you, those were the three things I really felt to pray with people about and break off your life. And also, I wanted to pray with people about discernment. Those that want your discernment to go up to another level. Where you're living by faith and not by fear. The Lord doesn't want us living by fear. So let's stand. I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. I want everybody just to say this out loud with me. And we're going to pray about the stress and anxiety and all, all that I mentioned. And then I'll pray with discernment for those that want this. But Everybody out loud, just pray this. Jesus, Jesus ask, forgiveness ask forgiveness for any stress, for any stress anxiety, anxiety, worry, worry ungodly, anger, ungodly anger, strife, strife division, division, discord. discord Disunity in my life and my ancestors. Even for divorce and quarreling that's been in my family. I put it under the blood of Jesus. And I take authority and destroy any work of the enemy. 
from these things. Anything generational? I break it now. And I command the enemy to be bound and leave my life. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with your peace and faith and change me. Burn out of me what needs to go. Let the blood of Jesus come over my life fresh and cover these areas. So let me pray for you. Father, I just lift them up. If there's anything in people's lives that has to do with this strife and divorce, this may be several people, that there's, there's been something in your family that's been divorce, strife related. And I'm going to put on some worship here saying I'm praying with people, but I feel this, it's connected. There's something about stress and anxiety, but there's also something about anger and something about strife. And it's all connected. And there's some people God's going to set free. But Father, I break that off people's lives within the sound of my voice. And I command those spirits, specifically speak to a spirit of divorce, I bind you. That you're going to go from people's lives. You are not going to cause that in their life. Now or in the future. We break that right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would release angels that will dismantle and drive away every structure. Every stronghold. Everything that's not of your kingdom tonight, right now. And break down these works of the enemy and set people free. I thank you, Lord, for it. We'll go ahead and close down recordings. I want to just put on some worship and pray with people.